This is the Freddie and Harry podcast on ESPN Radio. And welcome to the best show on your radio. You know it better as Freddie and Harry. Thank you very much. My man Chad Brown in for Harry Douglas. I'm Freddie Coleman. We are presented by Progressive Insurance on the ESPN app. Series X and Channel 80. I always tell you a smart speaker to play ESPN radio. Ten minutes away from the Philadelphia Eagles can keep those good times rolling at the expense of the Dallas Cowboys and maybe put them away for the rest of the season after they play on Sunday. We'll talk about that in about 10 minutes. But plenty of reaction to the news about the untimely passing of the legendary basketball coach Bob Knight, three-time national champion in Indiana, passed away yesterday at the age of 83 after a long illness his family said in a statement. So many people inside and outside of basketball had conversations or encounters with him. One of those men is a basketball Hall of Famer himself, Jim Beheim, who won a national championship at Syracuse. He is a great follower on social media, The Real Beheim. He joins us here on Freddie Harry. Coach Beheim, we know a lot of people will try to say, okay, how should Bobby Knight be remembered? But you had a lot of interactions with him. How will you remember Coach Bob Knight? I'll remember him as a young coach thinking that, you know, Coach Wooden, Coach Smith at North Carolina, and Coach Knight were the three coaches that we all looked up to. We all admired them. We all thought, you know, these are the best coaches. I don't, I think it was pretty much unanimous. Uh, you know, Coach Knight, I saw him when he's at Army, he won there with, with six, five, four guys, and, you know, got the NIT four years when it, it was hard to get to the NIT. You know, there weren't that many teams in the NCAA, and it was really hard to get in the NIT. And then, of course, he goes to Indiana and wins. Uh, he, he, You know, he's a complicated figure in some people's minds, but not in mine. I, I look at him as a, as a great basketball coach. People say, you know, he was so tough on his players, but, you know, uh, I've talked to all, a lot of his players, 30 of them, 40 of them, whatever, I've never heard one player say they didn't want, they didn't appreciate Coach Knight, what he did for them on the court and off the court. And even players that left there, transferred, had nothing but good things to say about. I mean, he was tough. Yeah. He's a, he was an old school, tough coach. Uh, probably doesn't work today, uh, although it should. If players want to get better, you got to be pushed. But I admired him as a coach. We played against him, competed against him. Um, he was always good to me. He was always good to young coaches. He would talk to you. He would invite you out to Indiana. Uh, he had his moments. I mean, he did crazy things. There's no doubt about that. I'll, I'll never forget, I was a young assistant coach, and we were at West Point. He was about in his fourth year there. I walked out before the game, and the players were shooting, and he happened to be out there. And the rest were there, and they were two feet away from us. And he walked over to me, shook my hand, hey, Jimmy, what do you think we got these two bums here reffing this game? They can't even see. And then he said a couple other things that I can't repeat on the air, and these two refs are two feet away. And I'm, you know, 25, 26 years old trying to – get started in coaching and I'm going, Holy cow. He just ripped these guys up and down. And that's what he was. You know, he just, uh, he didn't hold back anything, but he loved the game. He was invented motion offense. Uh, he, uh, really, I think perfected some kinds of man to man defensive things. And, you know, he was just a great coach and, you know, obviously he, did crazy stuff. He'll admit he did crazy stuff. He, uh, brilliant guy, but he just would go off and 
sometimes for really no reason. Sometimes he did it for effect, I think. Right. Um, but he just, you know, he, I mean, he, when you think of the great coaches, you, you, you better think of Bob Knight. You, you know, there's, you have to. There's no, no way you can have any list of four, five, six coaches that he's not on it. And, uh, you know, he was very nice to me always, especially after he beat me in the championship game. He was really nice. <laughs> but then we, we beat him a few times after that. He, made me, he might not have been quite as nice then, but I'll never forget, you know, the kind of guy he is. He's so competitive and he's so sure of what he's doing, which I think is a good lesson for all of us. But I remember I'm playing golf with him in nine holes after a celebrity tournament. We just went out, the two of us. And he has a short backswing, and he, you know, he's not bad. He shoots in the 80s. Right. And he said, you know, Jim, last week I played with Nicklaus and Norman, and they tried to get me to take it back here, but I'm not listening to those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, Bob, you're right. Why would you listen to Jack Nicklaus? <laughs> and, and, and you know what? He doubled down. He says, yeah, yeah. I, they don't know my game, my swing. <laughs> It was it was the funniest thing. I, I still talk about this. That happened at least thirty years ago. That that conversation, wow. and I just I can't get over it. It's it sticks with me. I tell that story. I mean, almost all the time. Whenever I'm in a group of people, but that's that was Coach Knight. Um, you know, he he was a great coach, and he taught Mike Shashevsky a lot. Uh, they, uh, they obviously had a falling out at the end, but, uh, you know, Mike Krzyzewski learned a lot about what you have to do in coaching from coach Knight, And he, he says that, and, you know, he's certainly, you know, our greatest coach in this era of college basketball by a lot. But, uh, yeah, I, I was sad. Yeah. I'll be sad for a while thinking about coach Knight. I mean, he just, he was different. He just never knew what he was going to do. And, uh, but he was a, you know, when you say people are bigger than life, there, there's really not many people like that. Coach Knight was bigger than life. Coach, Coach Beheim, uh, thanks for the stories and the laughs. Appreciate Amen. that. Um, what was it like when you faced a Bob Knight coach team? Were they, how disciplined were they? How, how, how tied in were they to the motion offense, executing all those kind of things? Break it, break yeah. down what it was like to go against one of his teams. They were great. I think as he got, especially early when he, you know, players were, were able to be really disciplined up in, into the 80s kind of. You know, the different mindset, you could, you could discipline them more. They were so disciplined. They were so regimented and regimented what they did and he had some physical teams he had some great teams i think that was harder to play that style as the 80s 90s came up um didn't have the same mentality players didn't have the same mentality but you know his teams were always going to play great defense they were always going to move the ball and set a lot of screens our zone bothered him a little bit because they couldn't set it the screens that he liked to set. So we, we had some success after we lost the championship game. I think we beat him the next four or five times. But 
Um, he was very hard to guard man to man. That's probably why I went to zone. Joe Bayon, national champion and Hall of Fame coach, reflecting on the passing of Bob Knight and Freddie and Harry with Chad Brown and Freddie Coleman on ESPN Radio. We got a great question from one of our producers, Devin Kane. You talk about being a yeah. young coach, being around Bob Knight. Young coaches always seem to want to get information, guidance from a Jim Beheim, from a Mike Krzyzewski, from a Coach Knight. What was that like for you where you have somebody like that and you're thinking, man, what does he do that makes it work for him? Well, I, I asked him that a couple times, and he said, you know, it'll take some time. I, I can't just give you a two-minute answer. But I did talk to him on occasion. And, I mean, his system, was it was fairly basic, but you had to really drill it and you know, you had to be able to do that. Tony Bennett's the closest coach man-to-man to what Coach Knight did um, in, in terms of modern basketball. He he plays that defense, and, uh, you know, it, it wins games. But he, he that was what he did. You know, Coach Knight, though, it was <laughs> – I, I had a couple stories. We beat him in Maui, and in Maui you finish at 8 o'clock at night and you catch the 11.30 flight back. Right. So we won the game and we played well, a little bit of an upset, not a big one, but you know, we won and he just marched his players in their uniforms out to the bus, got them on the bus, took them to the airport. I'm sure he must've got them some food, but I met when we got there, we had dinner we went to the airport, got there at 10 o'clock <laughs> and his whole team was sitting there in their uniforms wow. at 10 o'clock and they rode, they got on the plane at 11, 1130, flew to Chicago got off the plane, took the three-hour bus ride to Bloomington and practiced at 12 noon to 3 uh, that, that, that day. Wow. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't do that today. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that was who he was. You know, he was unhappy and he was going to do something about it. He wasn't going to wait another day. He was going to get it done right away. And, uh, you know, that's, that's who he was. And it's, uh, I was in awe of him as a, as a personality and as a, what he knew about the game of basketball, how he respected the game. He loved the game. He loved the old coaches, Pete Newell, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that were in the game. And, uh, I, I just had so much respect for him as as a coach. You know, when you're in the Hall of Fame, it's great, but he's in another level. I think somebody did talk about whether well, there should be another level in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You really can't do that. But it's, but in reality, yeah, he's in another level. And uh, it was. I was just happy that I got the opportunity to, to, you know, coach against him and talk with him about different things and play golf with him. I could beat him at golf, so that was even better. <laughs> and, and he didn't he didn't like that either. <laughs> All right, Coach, uh, last one for me here. Uh, the, you, you've got the two sides of, of, of Bobby Knight. You, you, you've got the three national championships, the five final fours, yeah. the 11 Big Ten titles, the undefeated season, you know, coaching the 84 uh, 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 Team USA. But you've also got the temper and the bullying and some of that abuse kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How should people look back at Coach Knight? How should he be remembered? Well, I think that it, it, it's, it is controversial. There's no question. I tend to – appreciate people for what they do and not necessarily what their personality is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's some, you know, there was some baseball players. I'm not going to get into names that were not good people, but they could hit a baseball. Sure. And 
I appreciated that. You know, I, I, I don't think we, I mean, it's nice for sports figures to be role models. I get that, but uh, I, I appreciate what they do. And with coach Knight, a lot of his toughness came down on his players. And you know what? I have not talked to a Bob Knight player who didn't appreciate at the end what it was like. I mean, I know I was tough on players early. I had a couple of players say to me when, you know, they didn't want to see me again when they left here. I was just too hard on them. But those players came back 10, 20 years later and says, Coach, you were right. You were right. You needed to push me. So I think a lot of that, I mean, in the press, I think some of it he was bullying the press, but some of it he was just playing with them. You know, mm-hmm. just he liked that. He, he liked to do some of that. And, uh, you know, he, he'll be remembered from, by me for what he was on the court, how he treated his coaches, and how he was good for his players. They had to go to class, they had standards, and they had to perform at the best of their ability. No player, no person works as hard as they possibly can without being pushed. Because we all think we're working hard. And then somebody pushes us a little bit, and we realize, whoops, I'm I'm working a little harder today. Wow. And that's what he did. That's what I'll remember him for. Um, he, there is no other Bob Knight. You know, there's a lot of coaches, a lot of really great coaches, but you know, they'll. It's not like you're saying, well, we won't have one. Like, no, there's only one Coach Knight, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to compete against him and get to know him a little bit. Um, I have unbelievable respect for what his knowledge of basketball, how much he loved the game of basketball. And uh, that's that's what I love. That's what I care about. So he means a, a, an awful lot to me, an awful lot. Hey, Coach, we know it's been a tough day, last tough 24 hours. All of us who love basketball, especially in the coaching profession. We really appreciate the time you gave us. Talk about Bob Knight. Take care. Can't wait to talk to you Thank soon. You. Thanks a lot, Coach. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great stuff by Jim Beheim, a Hall of Famer himself, national champion for Syracuse. Hit him on Twitter, the real Beheim. Joining us here on Freddie and Harry with Chad Brown and for Harry Douglas. I'm Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. And he kept it real. I give him credit. He didn't soft his head. He he did some things that went beyond the pale. Uh He said, but plenty of people can use that, how they remember Coach Knight. That's fine. He said, here's how I'm going to remember him. So he didn't just candy coat it. He didn't go hard after. He, He combined both because that was Bob Knight, a very complicated man that has that kind of legacy. And Jim Beheim, I thought, put it together really nice, saying he was all of this and more. We can't have one without the other as a part of his life story. Yeah, we tend to over-eulogize people when they've passed away. Sure. And we want to accentuate the positives and kind of push aside some of these negative things. I think I thought Coach Beheim did a tremendous job, to your point, Freddie, of striking the balance there, acknowledging that this is a complicated man with a complicated history here. And it would be unfair to just highlight the championships and undefeated season without discussing some of these other things. You know, the dude threw a chair on the court. Are you kidding me? I yes. mean, you can't just yeah. <laughs> dismiss that and act like it didn't happen. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. Uh, and so when those kind of things are part of a coach's history, I know it was a different time and a different era. Uh, I, I don't think we should just brush them aside. We should acknowledge and that's part of the history of this particular person's uh, time in the game. Yeah. And uh, it, it's not all positive, right. but certainly he was a tremendous and revolutionary figure in the sport of college basketball. Yeah, and I also thought that Coach Beheim said it best in terms of, the kind of things that he was able to do 
that made him a part of a successful coach. You can't do those things today. You can't allow those kind of coaches to employ those kind of methods that made that work. But he also made a point to mention that plenty of players talked about that. Man, I couldn't stand Coach Knight. I played for him. Just like Coach Beheim said, I plenty of guys said, I couldn't stand coaching for you or playing for you. But then 15, 20 years later, I'm glad you pushed me because I was able to find out more about myself and be a better player and be a better person. And a lot of old school methods, you can probably still employ them, but you have to go about it, chat in a different way. A buddy of mine who coaches a hockey team, a major hockey team in the Northeast, I said, what is it like coaching players? Because he's a hard-nosed old school guy. He says it's more negotiation now than ever before. If you tell a player, here's why you can't do that, they want to know why. Or here's the way to do it, they want to know why. That wouldn't have flown back in the day. No. With Bob Knight, Jim Beheim, to a different level, John Wooden. But now you have to be adaptable. And that's not to say that Bob Knight may not have wanted to be adaptable. It would have been very interesting to see if he could have been that kind of coach with that kind of success the way he would was in modern basketball in the 21st century. It was a couple of years after I was in the NFL, I had a chance to sit down with Coach McCartney, my coach at the University of Colorado. And he's like, mm-hmm. I think when you were here, you had a hard heart towards me, Chad. And I was like, well, Coach, to be perfectly honest, I, you told me you were going to be like another dad to me when I showed up on campus. And I thought my thoughts were, I've already got a dad. Okay. I don't need another father. And now that I'm a couple years removed from the situation, you were exactly what I needed, Coach. Right. So, yes, while my heart may have been hard, it was not necessarily to you. Yeah. It was to my pushback of the coaching you were trying to give me and the life skills you were trying to give me. So, yeah, I love you, Coach, and I will love you forever. You were such an instrumental part of my life. So please do not take the grumblings of a 19-year-old <laughs> uh, versus the, the insight of a 27-year-old. And, say, you know, yeah, the 19-year-old was wrong. This 27-year-old is having this conversation with you who tells you you were exactly what I needed and please don't ever soften up on anybody because tough love was a great way for me to grow as a young man give them that tough love they'll all be better for it that is one of my favorite 30 for 30s on your Colorado team thank you I think I've watched that at least 100 times it never gets old for me because I mean I'm, I'm a college football fan but growing up in the Northeast I didn't have like a particular team I loved USC I loved Michigan. When Florida State came along, I loved them. But the minute you guys got going in the late 80s, early 90s, I couldn't wait to watch Colorado football. Couldn't wait to see, you know, even before Cordell Stewart, those guys got there. When you guys had Eric Bieniemy as your running back, you were able to go in and beat Texas opening weekend. Then you went and beat Nebraska later on in the year. People didn't think you were going to do that. And then seeing that 30 for 30 and then seeing the kind of coach you guys had, with Coach Mack and what you dealt with Saul and Nessie when he passed away and part of that championship team that you win in the Big 12. That is, Chad, I'm not saying this because you're here. That's one of my favorite 30 for 30s because we got a chance to see exactly what the message was in a spiritual way in a game that does not have a lot of spiritual to it when it comes to playing big-time college football or even big-time football. That's one of my favorite 30 for 30s ever. Yeah, people say faith, family, football. Um, you know, f- faith is, is a difficult one in, in locker rooms because everybody's coming from a different place. But to bring the spiritual realm into it and for Coach Mack to tie us into his spiritual leanings and create a bond that is a lifelong bond at this point. Yeah. When I got married, four of my five groomsmen were guys I played football with at wow. the University of Colorado. You know, when my, when my parents have gotten sick, when my kids were born, any kind of major life event, those are the guys I first pick up the, the phone and, and, con- and get in contact with because of that relationship, because of that special bond we have as brothers on that campus. And we all went through those very tough times and that tough love program together, which hardened us 
Boston and toughened us up a little bit. It brought us national championship on the field, but it also turned us from boys into men in a very real, visceral way. Yeah, and plenty of players who play for Coach Knight, they have that bond to this day because of Coach Knight, good, bad, or whatever. A lot of those relationships were formed because of them coming together under great Coach Bob Knight. He was going to be sorely missed passing yesterday at the age of 83, a three-time national champion, basketball Hall of Famer, innovator as well. Great stuff from Chad Brown and for Harry Douglas and Freddie Coleman. Thanks for joining us here in Freddie and Harry. When it comes to faith, how much faith do the Packers no longer have in a guy they wanted to replace, Aaron Rodgers? We'll bring that spirit to you next with ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. The Freddie and Harry Podcast. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Here's Chad Brown in for Harry Douglas. Joining me, Freddie Coleman on Freddie and Harry. Presented by Progressive Insurance on the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80 and always tell your smart speaker to play ESPN radio. Change will always do some good. We're going to talk about that with the Raiders and also now with the Packers. The Packers may be thinking about making a change at quarterback. You know, somewhere, somehow, Aaron Rodgers is going, <laughs> especially when it comes to Jordan Love. Brian Gutenkunst, the Packers general manager, he was asked, if Jordan Love, now the quarterback, is their guy going forward? And he had a very, very, very interesting answer. It's going to take you more than just this season to find out what you have in Jordan and if he is the guy going forward. I, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, we got 10 games left. It's going to be very important 10 games. And, um, you know, I think he's done a lot of really good things. Really like the way he's responded to, to the adversity, uh, how he's led the team. Um, you know, again, we got to be better as a unit. And uh, I expect that to happen over the next 10 games. Um, and, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're going through some things um, that we knew we would go through. Um, you know, we haven't had the results we want. But I do like the way the guys are responding to things. There's a way to put pressure on somebody to do better. I don't know if that's the way when it comes to Brian Gutenkunst saying, well, the next thing is going to be important. I like what I've seen, but the next 10 games are going to be important with Jordan Love. 
whatever that means. Yeah, for a quarterback who I'm sure is already feeling pressure now to, for the GM to be heaped into that column of pressure on top of Jordan Love. It's a uh, yeah, that's not the way to your point, Freddie. That that needs to be handled. You've got a quarterback who you drafted out of Utah State. You had to know he was an unfinished product. And while you can learn from the sideline, your best learning is going to be on the field. Your biggest improvement is going to be from year one as a starter to year two as a starter. Mm-hmm. So for Gutenkunz to not understand some of these things, uh, maybe this is not the right organization for, for Jordan Love. If they're not going to give him the ramp-up window to grow into it and it's, they're going to force him to be a microwave quarterback, he did not come out of college being prepared to be a, a guy you can pop in the microwave and expect him to be ready. <laughs> He's a slow-cook quarterback. It's going to take him some time. you got to put him in the crock pot, dude. This is not going to be 20 minutes. This might be 8 or 10 hours. It's going to take some time. There's a skill set there. Uh, the, the, the Packers played the Broncos a couple weeks back. I do all my work here in Denver with the Broncos. And for the most of the game, Jordan Love was pretty good. But outside of some critical situations, particularly the, in, the interception that ended the ball game for the Packers, he played winning football. Right. But he's got to find a way to correct not just three or four plays, but more like five to eight plays a game. And I would imagine he would probably bring that down to three or four plays by next year. But the next ten games – no, you need an offseason as a quarterback to review every single snap, look it over, figure out what you did wrong, all those kind of things. They can't happen in season. You spend so much time game planning, yeah. it's really difficult to correct yourself as a player in season. So if they're only going to give him a one-year window, then that speaks to a bad philosophy as a personnel department. Uh, you pick the wrong guy if you only going to give him one year to get it done. Well, it's funny you mention that because Mark Chamura, who was a Pro Bowl tight end three times, part of, he's part of the Jen, Gabe, and Chewy morning crew on ESPN Wisconsin. When he was on Carlin versus Joe, he talked about exactly what you mentioned, that this organization, they have failed their quarterback when it comes to not drafting well. Most of them are from FCSs or Oregon States or are smaller programs. They're not from your blue blue blood programs. And then you have to look at the defensive side of the ball. They drafted eight or nine first-round picks, and this defense consistently finishes in the high teams, which is ridiculous. So I'm leaning in the favor of blowing the whole thing up. I will give them the 10 games left to see what they do with that. But right now I have very little confidence. This is what happens when you never had to worry about coaching up your quarterback because of the dude that he replaced, where that guy could essentially coach himself or whatever advice he was going to get. It was going to be from somebody that he trusted, either as his quarterback coach or now Nathaniel Hackett, who's now the offensive coordinator of the New York Jets. When you don't have to worry about the most important position because that is self-contained, then you can place your focus on somewhere else. They thought by bringing a Jordan Love, they wanted to make sure that when Aaron Rodgers fell off that proverbial cliff, that they were going to be in the right kind of spot. They were going to be fortified in that spot. Well, if you're going to draft a Jordan Love, he has to be dominant Utah State to back up Mark Chimura's point. Look at Ben Roethlisberger out of Miami of Ohio in the Mid-American Conference. But he was a dominant quarterback. And the Steelers said, oh, yeah, we'll take him with a top 15 pick. And that guy's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Jordan Love wasn't bad at Utah State. But if you're going to be at Utah State, you have to be great at Utah State. Or you got to be that great, but your personnel does not match with your talent abilities. We could never say that about Jordan Love. And I... I shudder to think, Chad, that they're already having drafters remorse, and he has not even gotten through a half of the season being the guys that started quarterback replacing Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Again, if that's the case, then 
it's your fault. You went about this all wrong. Yes. You, you, you could have drafted a lot of people with that pick. And the fact that you made this choice but then don't give this player the opportunity to grow into the position, you had to know what your lay of the land was. You had to recognize, yes, we've had Brett Favre than Aaron Rodgers, and that allowed us to make all these personnel moves and draft picks and team-building moves that kind of – just overlook the quarterback position and the effect on it because both those guys were so good. And now we've got to go in a completely different direction. And to only give that one year, you're, you're selling yourself short. And what's the most difficult thing for all football teams? If things are inconsistent and they're constantly changing. So are you confident you've got the right plan? Then you double down and you endure the tough times. But if you don't have the right plan and you're willing to admit that, that means not that Jordan Love wasn't the right draft pick, that your entire philosophy building up to Jordan Love was incorrect. And it says something more about you as the personnel guy in the gym than it says about the quarterback on the field. Some great stuff by my man Chad Brown in for Harry Douglas. Join me, Freddie Coleman, on Freddie and Harry on ESPN Radio. Bob in North Carolina wants to win on this. Drafters' remorse regarding the Green Bay Packers and the quarterback Jordan Love at 888-729-3776. Big Bob, what you got? If Jordan Love had it above the collar, they would have played him two years ago. He has the physical attributes of every great quarterback. He doesn't have it over the collar. The Drew Brees, Tom Brady, those guys have, you know, five-second 40s. And, but they got it over the collar. That's all there is to it. And they were hoping. I mean, the guy's been practicing, hopefully, on scout team for, what, three years now? And, and, and that's got to show you something. But they hated the way Rodgers was treating them mm-hmm. so badly that they were like, yeah, we're going to bite the bullet. See ya. Good Lord. Oh, by the way, after your shoulder injury, you're underthrowing like half of your passes. So see you later. Have a nice life. <laughs> Bob in North Carolina keeping it 100, number one. Thank you for the call. Number two, Bob is not wrong because they firmly believe we need our organization back. We are tired of being peons to Aaron Rodgers. They knew it. He knew it. He knew that they knew. And they said, if we can force him out of here, we can get our organization back. Well, the old adage is, be careful what you wish for. You might get it, but you're not going to like the end result. And they're already maybe having drafters remorse, Chad, because Jordan Love isn't the quarterback they thought they were going to get because they pushed the guy out that they didn't want anymore because he had too much power in that organization. When I was a player for 15 years in the NFL, I was convinced that every organization I was a part of was always dedicated to winning. Mm -hmm. Winning games. They were were always dedicated to winning games. Once I became a coach, and I did four coaching internships in the NFL, it became pretty clear that was not the case. They were dedicated to winning, winning the personnel battle to who gets to pick uh, the final say on the draft. Who gets final say on a player? Winning the, the, the battle of, okay, well, if I position myself to uh, be the buddy of the head coach when right. this coordinator leaves, then I can be the coordinator. That doesn't Winning wasn't part of the picture. And this Aaron Rodgers-Packers breakup reminds me of those kind of situations where there's a bit of a power struggle and the folks are interested in gaining power more, they are, more than they are in, interested in actually winning football games. And isn't that the point of every football team mm-hmm. from yeah. Pop Warner on up is to win football games? No doubt. And somewhere along the way, it gets lost. And that was maybe the most discouraging part of those coaching internships was, wow, 
even in these organizations where I have tremendous respect for the organization, there are people in here who put themselves above winning every single time to further their career, to increase their salaries, and it's got nothing to do with winning on the football field. It was a very sad indictment for what I thought was the ultimate winning business. No, unfortunately, it's not always the case. Eric in Wisconsin, win on maybe the Packers having drafters remorse regarding Jordan Love at quarterback, my friend. Hello? Hey, Eric, what you got? Yep, we're here, buddy. Hey, oh, great. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate your uh, program. Sure. just want to say uh, we need to uh, give Jordan Love uh, some more time to develop. Uh, Peyton Manning was 0-16, and 16, I believe, his first year. Uh, the Packers not only lost uh, Aaron Rodgers and his uh, leadership, but they also lost nine starters uh, with Aaron Rodgers, and that's just tough to replace. So we're starting over here. Um, it's ev- evident we're starting over, and we give uh, Jordan Love some time to develop with these young players. Yeah, Eric, we don't need that message. The Packers need that message, what you just said, because we agree with you in terms of Jordan Love, and all the points you make are spot on. What did the Green Bay Packers expect from Jordan Love in year one? You could not have expected that all of a sudden you're going to plug to your point, Chad, you know, put him in the microwave, and he pops out, you're going to be 10 and 7 or 11 and 6. Not the kind of personnel that you don't have around him when it comes to Jordan Love. If the Packers general manager made the point to say, here's a backhanded compliment. We got the next 10 games. I like what I've seen. We got the next 10 games. I think he's learning, but we got the next 10 games. We need to be better around him. We got the next 10 games. Well, you know what? Jordan Love is not failing the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers are failing Jordan Love. But he's going to have to be the one being thrown on the sword if it doesn't work out because all of a sudden they have drafters' remorse regarding a quarterback because they wanted their organization back and they're not willing to give Jordan Love the kind of time that he really, really needs to not just be, to your term, Chad Brown, a microwave quarterback, a crockpot quarterback that's going to develop. It takes time. It takes time, particularly at the quarterback position, and for the Packers to not recognize this and for the GM to insinuate uh, – you know, if, if if that's going to be your thing, man, say it with your chest. Don't Thank don't you. try to parse words and slide it in there and, and, you know, slip a little additional pressure on your quarterback and, oh, we got to be better. No, man, say it with your chest. And that's probably some of the reasons why they're here. They were unwilling to have those kind of difficult conversations with Aaron Rodgers, which led to that breakup. Mm-hmm. And now they're in another situation where they seemingly are unsure how to properly handle this. We want you to continue to weigh in when it comes to a different part of saying it with your chest. Not about Jordan Love and not getting enough time at quarterback in Green Bay, but on Statement Sunday, what team has to make a statement in the NFL this Sunday? Chad and I want to hear from you at triple eight say ESPN, 888-729-3776. Plenty of big games. Cowboys, Eagles, Chiefs versus Dolphins, Seahawks versus Raiders, Bills versus Bengals. Let us know. Team on Sunday, Statement Sunday, which team has to make that kind of statement? 888-729-3776. Be a part of Freddie and Harry with me and Chad Brown on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. The Freddie and Harry Podcast. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. 
Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Got my man Chad Brown in for Harry Douglas. Joining me, Freddie Coleman. Thanks for joining us on Freddie and Harry on ESPN Radio, as well as the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And always tell that smart speaker yours to play ESPN Radio. Some big-time matches this weekend in the NFL. Part of Statement Sunday. Seahawks taking on the Ravens. Eagles and the Cowboys, Bills and the Bengals, and the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Which team needs to make a statement this Sunday? It's time to let you take over the network, part of the Dr. Pepper calling line at 888-729-3776. Kevin, in the great country of Canada, what team needs to make a statement this Sunday in the NFL? Hey, Fred, how you doing, man? Every time I call you, i got to preface by telling you, man, you got me through a tough time with my mom. Last time I called him, and she passed away, man, but your voice, man, got me through a lot. I always have to preface that every time I call you in, man. I appreciate you for that. I appreciate you. Um, well, thank you for that. Yeah, I got a quick story about uh, Harry, first of all, before I get to my statement game. He got me in trouble yesterday. So we're in the car, me and my lady coming back, and he's talking about the uh, – the um, disciples of Belichick, uh-huh. and he says, "Oh yeah, they have to find they, they have to find their own niche." And so, so we get home now. This is two hours later. We're sitting at the dinner table, and she says nothing. All of a sudden, she goes, "You know, that guy knows called niche. I'm not niche." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh," and and I'm like, "You gotta call and call and tell him." I'm like, "No, no." So, anyways, I I sat on the couch that night and covered that. So, Harry, thank you, my man. <laughs> Thank you. Anyways, man. <laughs> but, <laughs> women are cold blooded like that. Two yeah, hours later, yeah. we're at the dinner table, and she, she remembered. I'm like, what was she talking about? <laughs> Anyways, man, it's the statement game. <laughs> state, state, statement game, man. Bill's, uh, Bill's, uh, Bill's big Bill's fan here. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to win the game on, um, on, uh, on Sunday night. The only concern I have is for Burrow. I mean, they did not let that guy rest his cow. And we saw with Kevin Durant, Cal, we saw with Aaron uh, Rodgers, Cal, and it turned into you-know-what. Be cautious, Bengals. I don't want to say the word Achilles, but be cautious. Okay. And, but I think we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to take the game. I think Josh is going to come out. He's going to ball. Nothing to be worried about. But, Fred, I hope you wear my uh, Bills jersey on <laughs> Monday when we, when we represent. And you know what I told her um, after dinner? My man's girl made a statement, let him know, like, wait a minute. But he he is right about the Bills need to make a statement because the last time we saw them play the Cincinnati Bengals, it didn't go well for them losing what I call the Winter Olympics on their home field. If you're a team that you believed after losing the first game to the Jets and now you've been up and down since, these are the kind of games you're the Buffalo Bills still trying to be a contender. you got to find a way to win this game on the road in Cincinnati. You absolutely do. You absolutely do. This this Bills team has been a little bit too up and down, I, I think, for anybody to expect uh, a, a deep playoff run for them. So this is a time of the season where 
to our point all, all show long. You got to mm. make your statement this weekend. This yeah. is the weekend you have to do that. And to do it in Cincinnati on the road when they haven't been a great road team, uh, the Bills haven't been this year, and to do it against a Cincinnati team where Joe Burrow is beginning to feel comfortable and hit his stride, mm-hmm. yep. it's going to be a very, very uphill climb. And I think to your point about Ken Dorsey as the play caller, in some ways this game may rest upon that play sheet in his hands on Sunday. No doubt about that. Q in Virginia, which team has to make a statement this Sunday in the NFL? Hey, man, what's going on? Love the show. Love the show. Appreciate you. Thanks, Q. Hey, listen, I'm a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan, but I'm not going to talk about our game because I really think we're going to end up splitting with Dallas. We'll get one. They'll get one. But to me, Kansas City Chiefs is the team that has to make a statement when this weekend going against Miami. You know what? Yeah. I never thought I would say that about a Chiefs team that has been the AFC Championship game the last five game, five years. But their wide receivers got to make a statement this week because I know the dudes on the other side are going to do that for the Miami Dolphins, Chad. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And after a number of games where the Chiefs receivers were underperforming, mm-hmm. there has yet to be anybody who has even, even been close to Travis Kelsey as far as the importance to the passing game for the Chiefs. Heck, even the loss to the Broncos last Sunday – there were touchdowns that were dropped yep. by Chiefs receivers. There were passes that were dropped. There were critical moments in that ball game. So, yes, Patrick Mahomes did not play his best game. He had the interceptions, no doubt about that. But there were also receiver errors, which I'm sure did not make Patrick feel any more confident in this very underperforming group. They've got to find a way as an entire group to step up and rise to the level of their quarterback and their tight end. And Andy Reid, the Chiefs head coach, well, he agrees with Chad Brown because – More consistent. That's what we need. You know, we've got some good things that we're doing, putting up a lot of yards, but getting into the end zone becomes important, not turning the ball over, basic fundamentals. We've got to take care of that. It's my responsibility to get that done. We're working on it. We'll try to get ourselves better this week. Yeah, you can't have a gold standard quarterback with poor receiving numbers. You can't at that position. And that, that, that's Andy Reid's chat, Chad Brown's message to his team saying, hey, we got a guy back there in 15 in red. We got another guy at 87 in red. Why are you guys not anywhere near what you're supposed to be? at this point of your career and of the season. Speaking of those kind of games, what quarterback has outplayed the other involving Chiefs, Dolphins, Cowboys, Eagles, Ravens, Seahawks, and Bills and Bengals? We'll do that next on Freddie Harry on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Freddie and Harry podcast on ESPN Radio. You can also listen to Freddie and Harry live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch and listen on the ESPN app. The Freddie and Harry Podcast.